0: The Chinese government is accused of aggressively targeting Western democracies with disinformation and hostage diplomacy. From Global News, I'm Jeff Semple. And on my new podcast, China Rising, we'll separate fact from fiction and hear from accused spies, whistleblowers, and others caught in the political crossfire as the pandemic rages across the world and incidents of anti-Asian racism rise. Listen to China Rising for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.
1: A listener's note the following episode contains coarse language, adult themes, and content of a violent and disturbing nature, and may not be suitable for everyone. Listener discretion is advised.
2: Imagine you're out with some of your best friends, maybe at a concert or a club. There's a lot of people, drinks are flowing, there's loud music. The energy in the room is positive and contagious. You're having a great time. Then, all of a sudden, you see something that's just not right. A person being bullied by someone else. You get a knot in the pit of your stomach. You want to say something, do something. But would you? Or would you just turn a blind eye and walk away?
3: I know for a fact that if something had happened to me, Lucas would have done the exact same for, for any of his friends. For me, and he would have gone above and beyond. I never thought that would happen to somebody I knew. I don't think anybody
2: does. I'm Nancy Hickst, a crime reporter for Global News. Today on Crime Beat... A case that will leave you questioning what the person next to you at that concert or club is capable of. This is the story of Lucas Strasser Heard. After a year studying abroad in South America, 18-year-old Lucas Strasser Heard arrived home to Calgary, Alberta on November 22, 2013. He was excited to be back. And that night, Lucas and his friends planned to celebrate his homecoming with a big night out.
3: Everything was perfect, like it was a really good time. Like everybody was getting along, like the music was good and those guys were having a good time at the bar, drinking and coming to the dance floor.
2: Bryce Sunberg is one of Lucas's closest friends. He remembers that night clearly and the very moment the mood
3: changed. I was almost closing time. Um, I had noticed my phone was kind of being weird that night, so I, it was not getting calls, and like my texts were coming through in like bunches, and rather than like when they were actually received. So um, I was checking my phone, and I saw that I had like four or five missed calls, and they're from different people. Like I had a few from Lucas, and then I had a few from my friend Ramsey, and then I think my other friend Costin all had messaged me or called me and saying like, yo, we need to go and stuff like that. So I knew something was wrong. And they said Lucas had gotten in a fight, but I didn't really think it was like anything significant.
2: Bouncers escorted Lucas back into the club.
3: He looked like he'd gotten beat up, like he was already like bruised and um, he was like a bit of a bloody nose or, I can't remember exactly the details that were on his face, but it definitely looked like he had gotten in a pretty big fight and he was just like, from Lucas being scared, that was a bad sign.
2: Bryce was shocked to see Lucas like that. He wasn't afraid of anything.
3: Yeah, he was a pretty fearless guy, so something was off.
2: No one could have predicted just how real the threat against Lucas really was. From the moment he was born, Lucas Strasser heard demonstrated deep-seated courage and a natural ability to overcome whatever difficulties life threw his way.
1: Well, Lucas wasn't planned. It was a bit of a surprise because Audrey actually had uh, had some some issues with endometriosis and stuff. And so it was always considered Lucas was kind of considered a miracle child because Audrey wasn't supposed to be able to get pregnant.
2: Dale Hurd is Lucas's dad. He and Lucas's mom, Audrey Strasser, were high school sweethearts. They were in their early twenties when Lucas was born.
1: It was just a really exciting time being a new father. Like you you don't, anyone can talk about how it might feel to be a parent, but you don't really know until, until you see your own child. And so it was actually a fantastic, it was a really fantastic time.
2: Lucas came into the world two months premature, and he was just a few minutes old when he gave the new parents a scare.
1: It was a little bit strange because I remember watching a documentary a couple, probably a couple of weeks before he was born, and it was a sad thing in Africa. A baby was dying, you know, one of those shows to you know, sponsor kids. But when Lucas came out and I was holding him, he was making the exact same noise that this this baby was on the show and it's a fatal problem so i called the doctors and everything and they came back in and then next thing you know they whisked him away and i guess he had a, he had water on the on the lungs they call it so so it was he was off to a rough start right from there and he had jaundice so he was in the incubator for a couple weeks and then after that he got better and uh, came home with us
2: at that time dale was working from home so he took on a role that would change his life.
1: Well, I was pretty much Mr. Mom.
2: Lucas was a healthy, bright young boy. Even his first word was colorful.
1: Purple. Believe it or not, <laughs> it was a color. It was a color on his uh, his chair.
2: When Lucas was a year old, his idyllic home life was rattled. His parents separated. Lucas's time with Mr. Mom ended, and for a few years, he went to Bolivia with his mother, Audrey, where his grandfather owned and operated a company in the oil, gas, and mining industry. Lucas was about six years old when they finally moved back to Canada. He wanted to play hockey. The problem was, he didn't know how to skate. South America doesn't exactly have a rink on every corner like in Canada. But that didn't deter Lucas. He was determined to master the sport.
1: He really loved hockey. So I I remember some, like he was seven and going to play hockey. There's kids that have been skating for three or four years already and he couldn't skate at all. So I remember the first probably four months, all, all we would do is just back and forth on the center line. I'd hold the stick and he would hold it and just learning to skate. I had to teach him how to skate. I had to teach him like three years worth in like three months. So that's all we did is back and forth, back and forth, back and forth.
2: He also loved to shoot hoops with his dad. Sports were just one of Lucas's many hobbies. He was also very passionate about music. There's a picture of him when he was just a baby, sitting on the floor with a guitar in front of him. It looks like he was studying it and longing to play it. He finally got a guitar of his own when he was 11. And without any lessons, in just a few months, he was playing full songs.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Then, 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 D, D, E, E.
2: Music came easily to Lucas, and with some help from his dad, he quickly learned E-e-e-e. to play the piano. Dale coached him through those first few notes on a toy keyboard.
1: See, that's it, dude.
2: Soon, he was playing his favorite songs. Mad World by Gary Jules from the movie Donnie Darko was one of Lucas's favorite songs when he was a teenager. He taught himself how to play it. Dale took a video of him as he stood casually leaning over the keys with no sheet music in front of him, expertly playing the song by ear. Really? Lucas excelled at pretty much everything he tried.
4: He was always naturally smart. Like he could always manage pretty like respectable grades without even like opening a textbook, which was always really, I guess, impressive. But um, at the same time, like neither of us really cared about it. Like, so that's why, like I said, we'd, I don't know, hang out and play video games or something instead of, instead of doing schoolwork or studying.
2: Ramsey Shirawi first met Lucas in elementary school, and by high school, they were best friends.
4: I'd slept at his house more times than I can remember. Like, his mom is pretty much like my mom at a certain point.
2: Lucas split his time between his mom's and his dad's. At Dale's house, Lucas had a little shadow who loved to follow him around.
5: A lot of the times uh, I remember just watching him and what he would do and sometimes like mimicking what he did and try to talk like him. I just, I always looked up to him and he was always like my hero.
2: Lucas was nine years old when his half-sister Julia was born. He was like honestly everything that
5: I wanted to be. I saw like the things that he did and you know, the way that he, the way that he talked, how he was just like so into, he was, into doing anything, you know, he just, he had a love for life that I really always admired.
2: Dale was known for carrying around his camcorder, and family videos document Julia's adoration of her big brother. In one video, you see Julia joining Lucas as he works out. She's just wearing her diaper and copying his every move. He was definitely really patient with me.
5: I remember being like super clingy to him when I was little. I'd always want to go, like, sit with him, be in his room with him, always like bug him, and you know, I just wanted to copy the things he did and I wanted to see what he was into because I thought it was all like so awesome. He was really into skateboarding at one point, and I always like I could see him doing kickflips and stuff, and I thought it was so cool. And then I would like try and do it, but like I couldn't even ride the, the skateboard, so it was kind of difficult, but. Uh yeah, I used to wear his shoes and like stand on his skateboard and he would get like he'd be like oh, not again like can I use those you know kind of thing um, but yeah, for my birthday one year actually he gave me one of his old skateboards and it was so awesome I, it was like probably like one of the most meaningful presents I've ever gotten because I don't know he just he knew I wanted one so bad and It was his too, which meant a lot to me because I was like, Oh man, like he gave me his skateboard, that's so cool.
2: Unlike a lot of sibling relationships, Lucas never tired of Julia's company. I think he just kinda like understood that I was like little and
5: you know, I didn't know as much, and I think he just thought I was like funny, kinda. Just yeah, we had a really, really strong relationship. And he was He was like so chill with me and he just, he never got mad at me, he always played with me and he didn't care that much if I just wandered into his room and sat with him while he played like games on his Xbox or on his computer and then I'd always wanna play with him but I had no idea
2: how and he just wanted to show me things and he wanted to teach me how to do things. Family and friends were everything to Lucas. So an opportunity called, he jumped at the chance to spend a year with his grandfather in South America.
1: Yeah, he got an offer from his grandpa to come, you know, his grandpa will pay, pay his way down there and he can live in his nice big house with a pool and go to the uh, American International School in Bolivia there for a year. And he just, that's a great opportunity, like it's a, it's basically the Amazon rainforest down there and he's... You know, he could learn Spanish. He's also, his grandfather is in machining for the drilling industry. So he was going to learn part of of that too, how to work the machines for uh, doing the drilling tools. He just wanted the experience. He wanted to see his grandfather because his grandfather actually was here his whole childhood, but moved down there to move his business down to South America about four or five years before this happened.
2: Lucas's father had some reservations about the idea. He worried he might lose his son.
1: It was a really exciting time for him. You just, you know, it was a little, I I was worried about it. I was worried he wasn't gonna come back. You know, the first thought he's gonna meet a girl down there, get married and, you know, I'll have to go visit him down there kind of thing.
2: But Dale's fears were alleviated because while in Bolivia, Lucas stayed focused on his studies and working out. He was really into CrossFit. He had a trainer, concentrated on nutrition, and loved sharing his progress with his dad. The change was remarkable. He was developing into a very attractive and fit young man. And even though they were thousands of miles away, Lucas never lost touch with the people he loved. I had Facebook when I was like nine.
5: So um, I talked to my brother on Facebook and he always messaged me and was
2: like asking me how I was doing and I called him and stuff too. Um, Yeah, it was really nice. As much as Lucas enjoyed his time in South America, he was eager to return home to Calgary and was already making plans for his future with some of his closest friends, including Bryce.
3: He was pretty excited to come back. He would always message me, it was funny. I don't know why he always came to me about it, but he was just like so invested in like Bitcoin and all these like stock trading and we'd, me and him would always have these talks about it. And he was always just like, man, I got to invest in this Bitcoin stuff and it would have been crazy because like at that time it was only worth like maybe like a hundred dollars. So if he had done it, he would have been a millionaire. That's just how far, like he was a smart guy and he was ahead of things, so.
2: Lucas's family was also counting down the days to his homecoming.
3: My mom got had a
1: job lined up for him, refereeing hockey, and uh, we are going to set up the Christmas tree, and he was all he was all pumped to restart going, the, the weekly coming and staying over, and you know, he was all excited about Julia. He was so proud of Julia. And uh, the actual day he was coming back, we were going to set up the Christmas tree. It was all out and ready to be set up. And it was just a really, really exciting time. Like I still have the calendar, you know, Lucas comes home written on November 22nd.
2: Dale was over the moon to see his son again, but he understood as a young adult, Lucas would want to see his friends first.
1: Yeah, I believe his friend Ramsey picked him up from the airport and so we were messaging you know like actually we were like watching his flight at that time you could google the flight name and it just shows you his flight and we were watching it and so he's finally home and i i remember thinking and it's a regret i have i remember thinking that there was a time when he was about 14 15 when he seemed pressured for him to come over sometimes like he was a 15 year old he wanted to hang out with his friends and stuff so it would be like Almost like pressuring him, like, well, you said this this, this is our weekend type of thing. You know, and it would kind of, I don't know, I just just felt like I shouldn't pressure him to come over right away. I thought I should let him just hang out with his friends the one night and see him tomorrow, right?
0: You can find answers to just about anything online, but what about those mysteries that can't seem to be solved? Spooky secrets which have stumped even the cleverest of clickers. Well, set the mouse aside, because the myths have met their match in the Spotify original. Internet urban legends. Every Tuesday, evidence expert Louie Lane and skeptic Eleanor Barnes investigate the Internet's creepiest conundrums, covering conspiracy theories and combing through clues to separate hoax from haunt. Together, they tackle the terrors of Twitter, TikTok horror stories, paranormal YouTube videos, and every unsettling Internet tale in between. Each episode is chock-full of disturbing details which are either truly demented or ripe for debunking. Can the gruesome twosome solve these mysteries? Or will they remain internet urban legends? Wade through the weirdest stories on the web and follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Internet Urban Legends. Listen free only on Spotify.
2: On November 22nd, 2013, Lucas spent the entire day with friends doing very basic things. He got his license, a new phone, and a warm jacket to help him adjust to the cold Calgary winter. They made plans to go to several electronic music festivals, including Tomorrowland, the world's biggest festival of its kind held in Belgium. Tickets to the legendary yearly event sell out in minutes. The group of friends decided they would attend the following July. Lucas also shared a newfound desire to become a doctor.
3: His life goal was to help people, and I think that's really big. And he wanted to be a doctor. He wanted to be the best doctor he could have been so that he could save as many lives as he could have.
2: Bryce and the rest of the group had a party in Lucas's honor at his mom's house.
3: Everybody's just like so excited to be with him and excited that he's back. And... They are just ready to celebrate. It was a really good mood, and Lucas was always, he was really happy that everybody was there.
2: Later, the friends decided to go out to some clubs in downtown Calgary.
3: I was just driving them around because I didn't really want to drink that night. I can't remember why, but there was something, reason why I wasn't. Then we went to see our friend Ty
4: DJing, and then that's when, after he finished DJing, he finished at like a midnight or something. Then that's when we headed over to the one, like just like I said, down the street, like a couple doors down.
2: Eventually, the friends ended up at Vinyl Nightclub, where a few of their favorite DJs were putting on a free show.
3: Everything was perfect. Like it was a really good time. Like everybody was getting along, like the music was good and those guys were having a good time at the bar, drinking and coming to the dance floor we're kind of dispersed throughout the night because there's a larger group of us. He met up with some other friends from like high school and stuff, people, some people I knew but not overly well. But a lot of his friends were coming to celebrate with him too, so there's a bigger group of people. So he was all over the place just having drinks, having fun with everybody.
2: It was last call and things were about to take a shocking turn.
4: This uh this guy called some I think it was a bouncer. I don't I don't know exactly who it was, but he called somebody some profanity, some kind of profanity. And then Lucas was like, "Hey, like shut up. Don't don't say that kind of stuff to to like strangers, I guess." At that point, I was standing next to him.
2: It wasn't out of character for Lucas to take a stand for what was right. Lucas spoke up. He told the guy not to use that kind of language. The fact Lucas had just arrived home from a Spanish-speaking country fueled his disgust when he heard the guy yelling racial slurs at the bouncer. But it soon became clear that guy wasn't open to criticism. He pushed Lucas hard enough that the muscular 18-year-old was sent reeling.
4: What he did was not surprising to me at all. That's why, like I said, I wasn't, I didn't think it was a big deal at the time. I was like, oh, he's just telling this kid to shut up. Like, we're just gonna go home in like 20 minutes anyway. Like, it's not a big deal. Even though they're like shoving, like I said, I didn't think it was gonna escalate to the point it did.
2: But Lucas soon found himself surrounded, swarmed by a group of guys. He tried to leave and backed away down the sidewalk but the group went after him again. Finally, he got free and he was taken inside the club by a bouncer.
4: They said that they were taking him inside after the fight happened, like the the initial fight outside. They said that they were gonna take him inside to sort of like diffuse the situation. But um, at that point, our ride had showed up and he was like right in front of the door. So we figured, okay, like we'll drive to the back and like, and find him, right?
2: Inside the bar, Lucas found Bryce.
3: He seemed like legitimately scared that he was gonna get jumped again and that there's like 30 guys coming after him. He was mentioning like, there's like 30 guys coming for me and all that stuff. He was legitimately scared. And that was a really bad sign for us,
2: Everything was happening really fast. And at that point, Bryce didn't even know what the fight was about and that didn't even matter. He just saw the fear in his friend's eyes and that scared him.
3: Yeah, he was legitimately worried that they are gonna attack him again. I talked to the bouncer and told him like, hey, this is our friend, like, can you let us come with him? And they said, okay, just come with me to the back. And so we had a minute at the back, not very long, and I was telling Lucas like, hey man, we're just gonna go out the alley and we're just gonna get to my car. We'll get out as soon as possible, go out like, the fastest way out of the alleys so that like they can't, like if they're gonna jump us, it's gonna be the most public. Like we wanted to like either get to my car or like a busier place where nobody would do anything crazy like that. The bouncers were kind of just hurrying us out the back. Like you guys gotta go. Like they didn't really give us an option to stay in the club.
2: Bryce's car was parked right across the street from the bar. So it didn't seem like it would be too hard to make a quick and safe getaway.
3: At the time I didn't really think it was like a really big threat you know I thought it was like a fight out front and like maybe he, he got jumped by some guys but I didn't think anything would have followed that so I thought that we would have gone out the club and out the eggs into the alley and we would have been fine just getting out right onto the street and straight to my car I didn't really think of how serious the issue was I knew that he was worried but I thought that because we're going out the alley they wouldn't be able to find us rather than going out the front I thought we were safe so
2: Bouncers ushered Lucas and three of his friends to the back of the club and let them out the door into the uncertain darkness.
3: When we went out the doors, we had sat in the alley for maybe a minute talking about which way would be the better way. And then I told him if it made him feel better, I would switch my shirt with him just so they wouldn't know it was him and that we could go out either way. And then we all agreed that going out the fastest way was probably the best way, rather than going the long way out the alley, all the way like down the block to the exit of the alley. Because w- the vinyl was at the front, kind of right along 1st Street and 10th Ave. So it was really quick to get onto the street where there was light and everything. That's what we thought we'd be safe out there. Because it was so in the open. Like as soon as we came out of the alley, they just said, there he is, let's like, there he is, there he is. And they all just chased after him right away. That's they like encircled us and started attacking Lucas already like saying like, you don't mess with my friend and all all these other things attacking him right away. Like it was within like not even a minute of being outside on the street. It was crazy. Like It just didn't, it didn't almost like feel real because it was just so sudden we were like panicking and we didn't know what was going on and we didn't realize that all that was happening at the same time and they're attacking him And that's when I recognized one of the guys from the group, um, Nathan Gervais. And I started confronting him like just thinking like maybe if I can talk to him because we have a mutual friend that he, he would get his friends to stop or something like that. So that's when I tried confronting him and telling him to stop and he was just not listening to me and he was just going right after it. We had like a small confrontation between me and him but he was just so dead focused on Lucas.
2: Lucas was swarmed again.
3: Between like 10 to 15, I don't I don't know an exact number. It was just like so overwhelming at the time. I couldn't keep a head count, but it, it was just so overwhelming amount of people that I couldn't really keep track.
2: Lucas's friends tried everything to stop it.
3: Yeah, they're punching and kicking him. And he had got, he had actually broken out of there and ran back towards the alley and they chased after him and that's when at the time I was still trying to worry about Nathan when they he had broken out of the group so I guess they had pinned him into the dumpster and that's where they he had fallen down and they started kicking and punching him and doing whatever he didn't really have a chance because there's just so many of them it was all really fast like it was almost like hundred percent right from the beginning like there there wasn't really there was like no break it was just like from the encircling into the back into the alley, and they were already like just continually attacking him and like yeah, savagely beating him. There's a couple of guys kicking his face, so I tried putting myself between him and his face, and I was trying to push those guys away, and one of the guys that hit me because I kept getting in the way, and they are telling me to like get out of there, stuff like like a lot more explicit, but they're, they weren't really letting us anywhere near because there's way more of them than us. It was just very, it was hard to like process everything that was going on and we're in shock.
2: Lucas cried out for help, but the vicious attack continued.
3: My first thought was that like the most damage would have been to his face, like his brain. So I wanted, I just didn't want them kicking him and punching him anywhere that way. So I was doing whatever I could to get in between them. But there's like too many guys to really, like I couldn't, all the way get in there and they're trying to hit me and attack me so he was begging for help, like begging them for the, to stop and he's saying like he said like you're killing me, like please stop, I'm dying and stuff like that and they just they just kept yelling at him. They were just saying like you messed with the wrong guys, you messed with my friend, this is what you get, stuff like that. Like they're just on some revenge plot of something that was so little in the front. We were begging for them to stop, just like saying that's enough. Like please like let him go. Like just any, any plea that we had, we, we tried.
2: Bryce knew his friend was critically injured and called 911. That's when Lucas's attackers came back and swarmed him one more time.
3: There was another small group that came back and attacked him and they were saying like, oh, we need to get his ID so we can get him again and stuff like that. Like they were just, they really wanted to kill him. I felt completely helpless, like no matter what I tried, I I knew that like I wasn't able to stop it.
2: Bryce is one of the bravest, strongest young men I've ever interviewed. No one should ever have to witness what he did that night.
3: He got to the point like his face was just like almost reconstructed almost, like his eyes were closed shut and like I just I don't know, like my mind kind of has tried taking that out of my head, so it's hard to remember that. Um, I just remember that you just could barely recognize him and then like his shirt was completely red from all the blood and he just wasn't Lucas anymore.
2: Police were close by. It turned out they had responded after the initial fight happened out front. While Lucas was being brutally attacked in the back alley, they were investigating in front of the club.
3: It's crazy to think about how they were so close, but so far at the same time. And that's when I noticed he was covered in blood. So that's when I found out like he had been stabbed. And then I went out onto the street and I was trying to um, tell the ambulance where to go, like trying to pull them in there.
2: To give you an idea of just how fast this barbaric attack happened, it was all over before Ramsey and his buddy could pull the vehicle around the block.
4: We We drove around the block and my buddy missed the turn the first way through. Or for some reason, we didn't turn in the first time. I think it was because he missed the turn. So we ended up going around the block like the full way around the block. I don't remember the street names. I know it was on like 10th Ave or something like that. So we went around the whole block and then by the time we had circled the block once, we came back to the same mouth of the alley that was the closest on the closest end of the street to the bar. And we had already seen him being mobbed by like probably 10 people at least. And then by the time I had jumped out of the car and ran up, everybody had like I guess, taken off. And then that's when the, the ambulance and the police showed up.
2: At that point, Ramsey had no idea what had happened to his best friend.
4: When I saw the people around the dumpster, I honestly didn't even know what happened. At that, like, at that moment, it was like, like I said, everything had happened so quickly. I had no idea what had happened. And I had no idea, like, even what was going on. At, at that split second, when I saw the people at the like, mouth of the alley, I like, it didn't click in my head what was happening. Like I said, because I had never I never imagined that it would go that far. So when I saw everybody at the alley, I was kind of like, oh, what happened? And then as I got closer, I figured out what happened. So it just seemed like it all happened in an instant. And when you, when people ask about it, it's like pew, it's like, it doesn't seem like it, it does, really doesn't seem like it happened that quickly, but it did. I never thought that would happen to somebody I knew. I don't think anybody does.
2: Lucas was rushed to hospital.
4: I tried to get in the ambulance, but they wouldn't let me. So we all just like drove to the hospital right away.
2: As Dale Hurd went to bed the night of November 22nd, 2013, all was good in his world. He and Julia were excited to see Lucas, and they planned to decorate the Christmas tree as a family the following day.
1: Well I remember I went to bed and uh, I was an IT guy so I, I tend to uh, turn my phone off notifications and stuff at night because it sometimes can just bug you for no reason. And so I t- my ringer turned off or whatever and I got up at about 5.30 in the morning I believe to go to the washroom and I looked at my phone and there was like nine missed calls on my phone. And I looked and it was mess- a number I'd never even seen before. So I thought, uh, my first, my very first thought is, oh, Lucas had too much to drink and he needed a ride home or something. And I hope that he's got a ride home, you know, that was my first thought. So I actually went upstairs, went to the washroom, I was making a coffee and then the phone rang and it was Audrey. And she was screaming and she was just like, get to the hospital right now, Lucas has been stabbed. And I was like, what, what, what? And she said, Lucas has been stabbed. He's been stabbed three times. And she just said, go there and be with him. Go there and be with him. And uh, it's just the the biggest shock you'd ever hear. Like I was half asleep and just bang, hits you like a hammer. And so I went upstairs, I went, I started just screaming. I was totally just screaming. I couldn't believe it. Lucas has been stabbed. Lucas has been stabbed.
2: Dale called his mother. Lucas's grandmother. She picked him up and they went to the hospital together. Lucas's mother, Audrey, was out of town in Northern Alberta for work. I can't imagine what it was like for her, knowing her son was in the hospital and she had a six hour drive back to Calgary to see him.
1: I feel so bad for, for Audrey because right before we were turning into the emergency, she called and said that she talked to somebody at the hospital and he just got out of surgery and he's stable and he's in, uh, he's in post-op or whatever, right? And I was like, okay, okay, he's stable. I told everybody in the car he's gonna be okay type of thing. And then, uh, and then we went into and I said to the emergency admissions there, I said, uh, I'm here, my boy's been stabbed. And right then and there, I saw the look on her face, like she just went white, because she knew how bad it was, I would assume, right?
2: Family was taken to a room where they had to wait for what felt like an eternity to see Lucas.
1: I, everybody waited outside, and I think they just took me in at first. And as soon as I walked in, I. I'll never forget my very first thought was like a relief. I was like, that's not him. That's not my son. This this guy's face is swollen up like this and his neck's all swollen. I thought it wasn't him at first.
2: That feeling of relief was quickly replaced by complete devastation, a feeling that's consumed Dale ever since.
1: Until I grabbed his hand and I felt his hand, it's exactly his hand, and I smelt his hair, and then I knew it was him, right then and there.
2: Lucas's little sister, Julia, had a friend over for a sleepover the night of Lucas's attack. When the girls woke up in the morning, they turned on the news.
5: I remember just sitting there at like, probably 7, thirty, seven 7 in the morning, watching Global, and, you just see the headline Southwest stabbing, and you're like, no, like there's no way. That's something else. And then they s- they said it was like a, a man who's like suspected to be late 20s, mid 30s. And I was like, oh, thank God, it's not him. And then it's like later he's identified, and he's in critical condition. Now it's like, this is it. Like I'm, my childhood ends here. You know.
2: Julia was only nine years old when she was taken into that hospital room to see her big brother.
5: I think the one thing that really sticks and, you know, I still, I still, like, think about it daily is seeing him and walking into his hospital room and just being like, wrong room, this isn't it, and, like, He's just, its just black and blue. He couldn't, I couldn't tell, but then I saw his hands were like untouched. They like, they looked like his hands. And I just remember I noticed his hair and it smelled like his hair. And then I saw his eyes, they were like partly open and it, I knew they were his. And it was just, oh my gosh, like this is not real. I, I, Pretty sure I was screaming, but I couldn't, I didn't know. Like, I was just, yeah, it was like easily the craziest day of my life. And I was like, this is, nothing will ever be the same. That's when I really started worrying about pro, like real life problems. And like, I knew the world was terrible. And like, I watched crime shows with my brother too. I was pretty young, but like, I still thought it was interesting because they were fiction. And then it happened. And I, I just, I couldn't understand, but I did. And I hate that I did. Because it's just it's something you never want to have to understand. I was gonna see him that day and play games with him and you know, and then the guy that I've been like calling my hero my whole life, he's just laying there.
2: Lucas was clinging to life. And as Dale and Julia held his hands, they both felt a squeeze. He knew they were there by his side. And then, in an instant, Lucas took a turn for the worse.
1: I remember seeing his heart beating on the ultrasound. You know, like they were giving him an ultrasound, his beating, boom, boom. But then they said that his, uh they were going to give him the another surgery, and then all of a sudden they said you guys need to leave now i heard someone say that his blood pressure had dropped to 40 over 20 and then they ushered us into the side room and that's where this one doctor was trying to talk to us about if it ha- if he hadn't been stabbed in the heart if he had him in this if it had him in that and i'm like what are you talking about? what are you talking about and then all of a sudden this other doctor there he just he interrupted this other doctor and he said your son's gonna die in five minutes and right then and there i jumped up and i ran to the room and there he was and i immediately grabbed his hand and i grabbed him like and i was screaming into his ear trying to beg him just to keep going keep going come on one more pump one more pump come on i'll never i'll never let this happen to you again i'll never 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 not like i was just telling him how i was gonna always protect him forever and this will never happen to him again and i was praying and i was down and then i remember like Julia, my mom, people were there. But I was like, just, I can barely remember. I just remember freaking out about it. And then a doctor came in or a nurse came in and started turning off stuff, like turning off the instruments. And I got so mad, it's, you know, don't give up on them. don't give up on him. And, and then I was just down on my hands and knees just praying and screaming into his ear to keep going, keep going. Your mom isn't here yet. You please just try, try to stay Lucas so your mom can say goodbye. And then uh, another doctor came in and just looked me right in the eye and said, your son's passed away. And so it just went all quiet. And then uh, it's a little blurry after that.
2: Lucas was gone. It's really hard. It's something
5: you, you just can't let go. You know, like, it gets easier to handle over time, but, like, having him, like, having his blood on my hands, you know, and watching watching them pull the plug while I'm sitting there holding his hand, and you're just like, you didn't have time. Like, it's just not, it, it, it wasn't fair.
2: In that instant, everything changed.
5: I couldn't be a kid, I I couldn't worry about typical kid things, you know, like I was like, oh man, I'm scared to like bring this to show and tell or something like that, or some kids like when you're nine, your biggest issue is getting a timeout, you know, like that's like the worst thing that you would think happening to you. But when I was nine, um, I started to worry about getting food on the table and, you know, having like no money cuz we had to pay to bury my big brother and you know the house was just everyone's always upset
2: it should have been the happiest time of year filled with christmas shopping and time with family and friends instead lucas's loved ones planned his funeral Hundreds of people filled the church pews. The sadness was crushing. They were grieving the life of a young man who should never have been taken from them. His death so incomprehensible.
1: I'm glad
4: to see that you're all here to, mem- to commemorate the life of my best friend and, and my...
2: my uh, My, my brother. I don't know how he found the courage to do it, but Ramsey read a special tribute to Lucas. At one point, Lucas's mother joined Ramsey, wrapped her arms around him, and helped him find the strength to continue.
6: I met Lucas when we were 11. By the time we were 14, I spent almost every day with him. He taught me so much. He he taught me not to care what other people thought of myself. He taught me, he taught me to want to enjoy my life and make the most of it. Lucas changed my life. He was always so smart. I was always so jealous of him. I would even, I would even try to, I would even try to, I would study all night just so I could try to be as smart as him, but I still couldn't be. He didn't even have to open a book, but yet he would, he would surpass me in almost everything. When I met him, I was lazy and fat. He inspired me to lose the weight and better my life. I I can't thank him enough. We did have our differences at times, but we were always there for each other and we always solved our problems no matter how stupid they were. I will miss him for the rest of my life. And I will think about him. I think about him every single day. He was my best friend. But I feel like I lost a brother. That's all.
2: And then it was Lucas's sister's turn. Julia was so little, she strained to reach the mic at the podium. But with her father by her side, she spoke about her hero.
7: I have written him a letter that he can take to paradise with him. So, uh, yeah, here it is. My dear brother Lucas, I am so thankful that you made it on your first day on Earth. You are the most amazing brother a girl could ever wish for. I'm giving you this medal because I remember when I told you I'd got my second soccer medal. You said, congrats, I love you, and there are no words to express how proud I am of you. I started to tear up. Your girlfriend has been talking to me a lot, and she feels the same way as I do. She said she loved how cheesy you were and how much she loved your cheesy compliments. You never let me drink of the milk out of the carton. Um, wait, where am I? Okay, you never let me drink milk out of the carton, even though boys are usually the ones who do it. (laughs) I know you loved me so much, and I loved you, but you still love me, and I still love you. I've heard you told everyone about me. I've had about six people tell me how much you would say, how much you loved me, how proud you were of me, and I cried when each person told me that, especially your girlfriend. She said you always told her that you wanted to try your best to protect me. I know you were in a better place now. Well, everyone knows you're in heaven. <laughs> but without you here on Earth, my heart is broken into over a million pieces. Please continue to talk to me and stay. please stay in my dreams. I only knew you and played with you for nine years, but they were the best nine years of my life. I will see you up in the sky when my time comes. I'll love you forever. Rest in paradise, Lucas Lucas, Love, Julia. I hope he enjoys that letter and I hope you did too. Now I would like to share some memories that I am I would like to share some memories that um, I really love, and I'm sure you will, too. First of all, Daddy told me this one. Lucas was about one year old, and cell phones came out. So sometime in 1996, Daddy always saw Lucas sucking on his phone, so Daddy tried it. He noticed that there was a little shock, and I guess Lucas liked it. (laughs)
2: Julia was doing exactly what her big brother would have wanted her to. She was focusing on the good times, the joy Lucas brought to their lives.
7: And then another one is Lucas loved french fries when he was a baby. So him and daddy would go to Burger King and get some fries. So one day, daddy and Lucas went over to Burger King and got some fries and drove home. When they were outside in the car, Daddy had to get Lucas out of his baby seat. It got stuck. He was shaking the car, and the fries fell into a mud puddle. Daddy said, shiz, but with a T. And Lucas started <laughs> and Lucas started laughing and laughing. For the next four or five days, Lucas would go around the house dropping stuff, saying shiz while dropping stuff. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard.
2: At nine years old, this little angel transformed the room she took them from mourning to celebrating her brother's life.
7: He always motivated everyone. He always tried to help everyone too. He said, if I can do it, you can too. His smile is printed on my soul, and I hope the same for you.
2: The final words were spoken by Lucas's mother, Audrey Strasser. There's so many beautiful memories we have of him, and- Joyous occasions that we can't put on a piece of paper. We will carry him in our heart for always and always and always. Though I've messaged back and forth with Audrey on many occasions, this was one of the only times she ever spoke publicly about Lucas. She's since moved to South America, her heart forever broken by the loss of her son. Nothing in this world will take away my broken heart. But the amount of love that we are receiving has healed a tiny
0: little spot
7: inside of us.
2: And for me to know how loved he was and knowing that outside of the home he treated people as kindly as he always treated me. There was not a day in my life that I did not speak with my son that he did not tell me how much he loved me.
6: I was so blessed with such a beautiful child.
2: It was so hard to comprehend how this happened to Lucas, and over what. All he did was defend a stranger.
3: Lucas wasn't like an amazing person. All he was doing was sticking up for somebody. That's like, I think a lot of people would want to be able to do that like a lot of people are scared to do that and the fact that Lucas is willing to do that on somebody he's never met before really shows his character that he cares about people and he he doesn't want like people getting bullied doesn't want anything like that that really shows like how good of a person he was and the fact that these guys attacked him for sticking up for somebody really shows them their character beyond like even before speaking what they did that really shows their character that they're willing to get in a fight over somebody for sticking up for something they had done for being racist or something. Whatever started the fight, the initial argument, that goes to show a lot of their character already and the fact that all their friends had to intervene, that really shows how weak they are and how bad of people they are. Like I think ganging up on somebody in general, even if it doesn't end up to be something that really shows that you're weak and I think it shows that you're a really bad person. Like, I don't know, and the attacks that they had, they're just monsters like there's no other words to explain that, what they are to just keep attacking him and to plan even after they beat him up once to come again like that most normal most people won't do that any normal person won't do that even if they're frustrated till as much as possible you don't think they're willing to just come back and attack him again and their intention was to kill him
2: police had their work cut out for them With so many involved in the attack, it was a daunting task. To make matters worse, the savage swarming was not captured on surveillance video. Would there ever be justice for Lucas?
1: The smirking and the laughing and the joking around, like like it's nothing, right? Like it's no big deal. These guys killed my son. And they're brushing shoulders with me in the hallway. Why aren't these guys in friggin' jumpsuits and in in the prisoner box? Like, it's ridiculous.
2: That's next time on this two-part series, the final homecoming of Lucas Strasser Heard. Thank you for joining me and letting me share part one of Lucas's story with you. If this is your first time listening to Crime Beat, please go back and listen to the previous episodes these are all such important cases. Crime Beat is written and produced by me, Nancy Hickst, with producer Dila Velasquez. Audio editing and sound design is by Rob Johnston. Special thanks to photographer editor Danny Lentella for his work on this episode. And thanks to Chris Bassett, the National Director of Content and Editorial Standards for Global News. I also want to thank our production assistant, Ryan Robinson, for his work on this episode. I would love to have you tell a friend about this podcast, and you can help me share these important stories by rating and reviewing Crime Beat on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. If you have a question about one of the episodes or about crime reporting in general, send them my way. You can message me on Twitter at Nancy Hickst, on Facebook at Nancy Hickst Crime Beat, and I'd love to have you join me for added content on Instagram at nancy.hickst. Thanks again for listening. Please join me next time. A gunman on the loose in a quiet coastal town, By morning,
0: 22 people were dead. I'm Sarah Ritchie. I live in Halifax, and I'm a reporter for Global News. On my new podcast, 13 Hours Inside the Nova Scotia Massacre, we'll examine
2: every hour of this tragedy to try and piece together what happened and what could have been done to
0: prevent it. You can listen to 13 Hours Inside the Nova Scotia Massacre for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts.